you have your copy of Scripture, if you'll turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Now, I know that that's not a regular Christmas text, and I know the last couple of weeks we haven't used regular Christmas text, but really what we're looking at is, is we live in this kind of weird time of since the first coming of Jesus between the second coming of Jesus. And what kind of people should we be? Advent means coming, expectation, anticipation. And so what we're dealing with every week is now that Christ has come, how has that changed our life? And knowing that Christ is coming, how does that impact the way that we live? And so we've talked about hope. We've talked about peace. Today we're going to talk about joy. Joy is one of those words that's kind of elusive. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, doesn't it? But here's something we need to understand. Joy is not something that you own. It's not something that you're going to find inside of yourself. Joy can't be manufactured. It can't be bought. It can't be stolen. Joy is one of those things that has to be given to you. There's no pill that you can take that brings joy. Joy is something that has to be given And here's the reality. We talked about this last week. Joy only comes when we are connected in an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Before we can have joy in our life, we have to have joy vertically. And that comes because Jesus has come and he now resides in our life and God has given us his joy. He's implanted his joy inside of us. And when God implants his joy inside of us, then that horizontal joy begins to go out into our life and we find joy in all sorts of different things, in all sorts of different people, in all sorts of different places and circumstances because joy is now inside of us. And so we're gonna read a text today that talks a lot about joy. I love the book of Philippians. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to. Uh, People call the book of Philippians the book of joy. Because Paul says over and over and over in the book, rejoice, take joy, have joy. You're my joy. This is our joy. And so today we're going to learn where joy comes from and how we can fight for joy in our life. Because I'm sure you know this already. There are things in our culture. There are things in our life. There are things in our families. There are things in our just our everyday life that try to steal kill and destroy our joy. And God says we can stand against that. We can stand firm in joy and we can fight for joy in our life. So let's read Philippians chapter four and hear Paul talk about the secret of joy in our life. And remember, this is all connected to Advent. The only reason that we can have true, living, lasting joy is because the Prince of Peace, joy himself has come. And he wants to live in our life and bring joy to us. Philippians 4, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also on the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's always been a phrase that's been very difficult for me because it, it is difficult to rejoice at different times. There are circumstances that happen in our life. There are kind of relationship problems that we have that make it difficult to find joy. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, here's what happens when we hear Paul say something like this. We think, well, isn't that just like a preacher to tell us something that can't really be true? I mean, isn't that just like a preacher to tell us and ask us to do something that we can't really do? And, and here's the thing. Paul was this superstar celebrity preacher. Everybody loved him. It was easy for him to rejoice. It was easy for him to have joy in his life because everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. Everybody was awed by his presence. If you believe that, you've not read scripture. Can I tell you, where Paul wrote the phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do you know where he wrote that from? Prison. Now, I want to say this very carefully. Being in prison in those days or not being like, or not, it's not like being in prison these days. I'm not saying prison's easy. But prison these days is a cakewalk compared to what Paul experienced. In the Roman world, they would find a cave, put some bars on it, throw you in the prison and they were not required to feed you, to clothe you and to give you medical care. They didn't care about you. You were a prisoner. 
The only way that you got taken care of is if people remembered you and came and sought you out in the prison and brought you those supplies. And here's the reality. Even if they brought them to you, there was no guarantee that you were going to get them. There was no law in place that said prisoners had to be taken care of. So Paul sits in some rotten, stinking prison. And in the midst of that horrible experience, here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, let me say, rejoice in the Lord. First Corinthians, Paul tells us a little bit about what his life was like as a celebrity apostle, as a celebrity pastor and teacher. He was beaten with lashes, with 39 licks, almost the death penalty, many, many times. He was stoned and left for dead many, many times. He was shipwrecked and floating out in the water, left for dead many, many times. He was rejected and beaten and put in prison many, many, many times. Before you dismiss, what Paul has to say is just preacher nonsense. Remember, this guy knows what it's like to deal with tragedy, to deal with heartache, to deal with pain, to deal with circumstances. And so he says something that's very powerful that shines out of that darkness. Rejoice in the Lord. See, what we say most often is, I can't find joy because I don't have X. Whatever X is. I remember when I was five years old, seven, oh, seven years old, my brother Brandy was five. Uh, that year they came out with a Batmobile big wheel. It was a two-seater. It looked just like the Batmobile and I wanted it. Here's what I told my seven-year-old self. If I get this, I will be happy for the rest of my life. I think I said that to my parents. And we happened to go shopping about a week before Christmas and we went into Sears and we walked into Sears and they had it. Not only did they have it, they had it on a, on a huge turntable in the middle of the kids section and the toys. And it was just turning right there in front of me. And even more so, I said, if I have this, I will never want for anything ever again. Well, they didn't have any to buy. There was only the display model. Devastated. We drove home and I cried the whole way and I made sure everybody knew how devastated I was that I was not getting the Batmobile. And I could not wait to get to the one person in my life that I knew would get it for me, my grandfather. We dropped my grandmother off at the house and I ran into my peepaw and he said, what's wrong, son, what's wrong? I'm the oldest grandchild and the favorite of all the grandkids. It's, I'm not saying anything out of school, all the other kids know it, I'm the favorite. And I walked in and I said, peepaw, I want the Batmobile and they didn't have any and they have one and I can't get it. He said, all right, buddy, let's go. And we loaded up in the car and we went back and we bought the floor model. Now, I'm here to tell you that I'm 45 years old and I don't know where that Batmobile is. I lost it a long time ago. See, here's what we do. We convince ourselves if I get this thing, if I have this position, if I get this promotion, if I get this thing, I will have joy forevermore. And what's the problem? It doesn't satisfy. 
And so here's Paul sitting in a prison, nothing. He has nothing. Everything's been taken away from him because he's preached the gospel. And in the midst of this, here's what he says. I have found the secret to joy. Joy everlasting, joy overwhelming, joy overflowing. And here's the secret. Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. To rejoice in the Lord means that we are anchored in God's nature and character. Paul could sit in the midst of the filth and the death and the despair that he was in and remember that none of these things change the fact that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is kind and loyal and faithful and honest. None of that changes it. He's anchored in God's nature and God's character. None of the things that he was experienced changed the fact that God loved him that God had a plan for his life and that God had protection and provision for him. Doesn't change it. And so here's what he says. If you want to find true joy, anchor your joy in God's nature and character. It's easy to find joy when you remember who loves you and who you love. But he says not just to anchor in God's nature and character, we're to be settled in the finished work of Jesus. How do you find joy in the situation that Paul was in? How dare you write a letter to other people and tell them to find joy in the difficult situations they're in? And the reason that he can do that is because his joy came from the settled, finished work of Jesus. His greatest enemy, your greatest enemy, my greatest enemy has been defeated. And as he sat in jail, he sat in jail, not a prisoner, but a free man. He knew that his body may be chained, but he was alive. And if he died in that moment, he would be free. His greatest enemy had been defeated. His greatest opponent had been taken care of in his life. He was no longer a sinner. He is a sinner saved by grace. He is a new creation. All things have become new. And even though his body may be chained, he was free. Here's what Paul is telling us. When we anchor our joy and settle it in the finished work of Jesus, we, of all people, should have unshakable joy. How in the world can we walk around with gloomy faces and bad attitudes when our sin has been forgiven, we have been washed clean, we have been made right with God, we have been given the Holy Spirit and new, abundant, eternal, everlasting life? How can anything else shake our joy? It's almost like what Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said one day, the great preacher from London. He said, if you are alive and breathing and out of hell, you have nothing to complain about. If you are alive, breathing and out of hell, you have nothing to complain about. And Paul says, when we rejoice in the Lord, We rejoice in the settled, finished work of Jesus on our behalf, knowing that no matter what circumstance we may be in or what circumstance we may face, 
Sin, death, and hell are not the things that we're going to face. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the greatest gift that's ever been given to you was given over 2,000 years ago on the day that we celebrate as Christmas? God became man. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He died on a cross. And here's the greatest gift that's ever been given. Your debt has been paid. Your sin has been forgiven. Your punishment was taken. You don't face that anymore. So here's what Paul is saying, sitting in this dirty jail, I find joy in the Lord because the Lord has saved me. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Paul has said in numerous places, he says, I think in in Thessalonians or Timothy, he says, I know in whom I have believed, whom I've trusted myself. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have given to him until the day that Jesus comes. Paul was sitting in prison and I will tell you that was probably not the plan for his life. I don't think he woke up one day and decided, hey, you know, God's called me to be an apostle and I'm going to go preach and I'm going to go do these things. And and what I want to have happen is I want to get beat almost to death a bunch of times. I want to get stoned almost to death a bunch of times. I want to get shipwrecked and left for dead a bunch of times. I want to go to jail a bunch of times. Here's what happens. He comes to a place where he rejoices in the Lord and he becomes fixed on God's loving plan for his life and for our life. You can rejoice in the Lord when you believe and understand that God has a loving plan for your life that he's at work unfolding right now. You can find joy, unshakable joy, that joy will never be taken away, joy will never fade when you recognize that God has a plan that he's working out in your life and that plan cannot be stopped by you or anyone else. That God has a plan that he's working out in you, whether you're working on it or not. Paul says two chapters before this, God is at work in you both to will and to work out his good pleasure and his will in your life. Paul can sit in prison and say, God, this is not my plan. Jesus, this is not where I wanted to be. And God says, this is where I have you and I'm at work. Now there's lots of speculation about where he's at. We don't know exactly where he's at in prison here. No lot of speculation. But we do know that there's a time when he goes to prison in Rome and he's waiting to be executed. He's just counting down the days till they're gonna execute him. And here's the crazy thing that happens. He tells the people that this was a wonderful thing that happened to him because he gets to preach to Caesar's household. In fact, the Praetorian guard that guarded him, they, they put almost 300 soldiers on Paul to guard him and protect him. But here's the thing they didn't recognize. Every time they changed somebody to Paul and they had to walk around with Paul all the time and all the place, guess what Paul did to him all day? Hey, can I tell you about a guy named Jesus? 
Hey, can I tell you who I was before I met Jesus and what's happened? You want to know why I'm here? Let me tell you why I'm here. I met this guy named Jesus. He transformed my life, made me completely new, forgave me of all that craziness that I used to do, and now I just go tell people about Jesus, and that's why I'm in jail. And he says, almost all of the Praetorian Guard have come to know Jesus. He became fixed on God's plan in his life that he couldn't stop, that the Roman Empire couldn't stop, the Praetorian Guards couldn't stop. And he began to believe that God's plan, that God was working out his plan in his life, whether he was working on it or not. And he came to believe, as I hope you will, that in God's plan that he started, that he's working on, that he guarantees he guarantees that if you are in Christ, you will make it. Not because you're good enough, not because you're smart enough, not because you try hard enough, because he guarantees you're going to make it. He's at work in you, bringing you home, and you're going to make it. And so Paul understood this jail is not the end. This dark, dank, nasty prison that I'm in is not the end. God has guaranteed my end that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Is that enough to give you joy? Does it help you understand how Paul in the worst situation in his life could write something like rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I will tell you, rejoice. Does that give a little more context? Does that help you understand? Paul tells us that joy comes from the nearness of God. Rejoice in the Lord always, verse four. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. I love that beautiful little sentence. The Lord is near. It has really two meanings here. It means distance and also means time. The Lord is near. Paul reminds himself and he reminds the Philippians and he reminds us that God is much closer to us than we ever dare imagine. See, the scary thing that we miss about Jesus' coming is the fact that God came. We've heard the story so much, it doesn't boggle our mind anymore that God himself came to live among us as humans. And that's sad. Because what Paul is trying to draw us into is that our God is the kind of God that comes near. He doesn't stay distant. He's not far away. God gets in close. He's near. In fact, the Bible tells us over and over again, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Sometimes the reason that our joy lacks or the reason that our joy wanes is because we begin to drift away from God. Here's the real truth. God never moves. 
God never changes. God never increases or decreases the distance between us. He is where he is all the time. We drift. And so what Paul says, listen, the Lord is near. If you feel distant, all you have to do is turn. All you have to do is turn and he's right there. All you do is have to call out and he will answer. All you have to do is to drop all of the mess in your life and he will replace the mess in your life with grace and peace and hope and joy because he cares for you. Don't, be, don't believe the lie of the enemy. The enemy tells you you've gone too far, you've done too much. But here's what God says. The Lord is near. So that's distance. But the Lord is also near in time. Can you think how frustrating and difficult it was for the people of Israel decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, waiting on the Messiah? They had been hearing since Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets, that there was one to come, the Messiah, and they waited, and they waited, and they wandered. Sometimes I think we feel the same way about the second coming of Jesus. It's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. We've been, we've been talking about this my entire life. My parents talked about it their entire life. My grandparents talked about it our entire life, and so we get comfortable. We get settled it's much like the people of Israel get settled in the fact of we just want to go back to Egypt. It's hard waiting. It's hard wandering. It's hard wanting God to do what he only can do. Paul says, listen, the Lord is near. And so we need to be looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord. Did you know that's our responsibility? The moment that we believe that Christ has come and we put our faith and trust in him, we turn our vision forward and expect his coming. It changes everything about our life. We, we've been looking in the past and we, we say he has come and I believe he has come and this is the foundation that I build my life on. But then we turn to begin to look forward and we walk forward in expectation that he is coming. So we look for his coming but we can also hasten it. Did you know that we can speed up the Lord's coming? And it's not the way that you think. Most people think, oh, we're gonna speed up the Lord's coming by things getting worse. So let's just let things get worse. No. Do you know we can speed up the Lord's coming by sharing the gospel? Jesus says in Mark that when the gospel has been shared over the entire face of the earth and every people group has heard the gospel, then the end will come. Did you know that? God is not slow about his coming. He's patient. And he's patiently waiting, giving us an opportunity to share the gospel and for people to repent. And listen, I have been guilty of saying, Jesus, come back. Just come back. I wish you would just come back. I wish you would just hurry up and come back. 
And the part that I'm guilty of is I wish that and I'm not out sharing the gospel the way that I need to be. If I was truly looking for and hastening the coming of Jesus, I would be going out into the world sharing the message of joy, bringing light into dark places. Paul says, listen, the Lord is near. How would, how would thinking about Jesus' return change the way that you live? What do you think about? What's on the forefront of your mind? Well, if I'm honest, bills. Bills and How am I gonna take care of my family? And how am I gonna pay for college? And how am I gonna do this? And how am I gonna do that? And all the things that we feel are so important. How would it change your life to know that the Lord is near? That he's ready to come. And he's asking us to be a part of that coming for us to prepare the way. For us to go out into the world and tell people, hey, The king is coming. The king is coming. And I don't want you to miss him. Back in verse one, Paul tells the people of the church at Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. To stand firm in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord and to stand firm in the Lord. And that's where real joy comes from is we stand firm in who God is and we begin to live out what God wants us to do in our life. That's how we fight for joy, by standing firm. Because the things that the Holy Spirit has laid on Paul's heart for this church and for our church and for us as individuals puts us at odds with everyone else. Puts us at odds with the world and sometimes even ourself puts us at odds with ourself. And here's what he says, stand firm. Fight for joy against those things that seek to kill joy in your life. And listen to these things. These are so common in our life and in our relationships that we don't even notice them sometimes. We don't even see them as the problem that they really are. Verse two, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. He wants us to stand firm, to fight for joy. And one of the ways that we do that is to live in harmony together in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. I would love to be remembered in the Bible, but not in this way. How would you like your name to be written to your church in a letter from the Apostle Paul authored by the Holy Spirit that was gonna be put in the Bible for generations upon generations of churches everywhere until the end of time? And listen to what it says. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony. If he's asking them to live in harmony, what are they living in right now? Not harmony. 
In fact, he goes on to talk about how these two women had been very integral in the fight for the gospel in Philippi. Listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, I ask that you help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here you have two people who love God, who've been transformed by Jesus, who have fought for the gospel, had something happen in their relationship, and now there's no harmony. And here's what Paul says. Go to them. Remind them that when we have vertical joy, we're gonna have horizontal joy, and horizontal joy means that we live in harmony with one another. Remind them. And I need to say this. Division in relationships and division in the church is the work of the enemy. You have two women who love Jesus, who disagreed on an issue. And this is what I love about Paul. He doesn't tell us what the issue is. Can I let you know a little secret? The issue isn't important. What is important is they are not in harmony with one another. And we need to remember that our brothers and our sisters in the church are not our enemy. We have an enemy. We don't need to fight each other. Division is a work of the enemy. He comes to still kill and destroy harmony in a church. And here's the reality. When he says harmony, this is what he means. Unity, not uniformity. We need to be unified around the message of Jesus. We need to believe that he was God and man. We need to believe that he was perfect. We need to believe he was virgin born. There are some things that we cannot agree to disagree on. There are some central things. And in those central things, we need to be unified. But in all the other things, guess what? We can agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree and love one another and serve with one another and be in harmony with one another because they are not central. And I say this all the time, but here's the reality. My opinion is not the same thing as scripture. I have opinions on a lot of things in this scripture. And here's the reality. You are free to disregard all my opinions and believe scripture. What we gather around and what we unify around is the Bible, not my opinion, not your opinion. And so here's what he says, fight for joy. Stand firm in the Lord. Do not let the enemy bring division in your relationships, in your family, and in your church. Live in harmony together. And you say, no, I I don't like that. Well, get ready because it gets worse. Verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentleness be known. Make your gentleness evident. evident. What's the last characteristic that you think you would want to be known by in prison? He's so gentle. 
He's just so gentle. I think that might put a target on your back, right? But here's what he's saying. Be gentle. Now, here's the problem. We think of gentleness as weakness. Actually, gentleness is much more strong than courage. Gentleness means that we have the power and the control of the Holy Spirit in our life to hold back, to show mercy, to be kind, to be flexible, to be giving. I don't know about you, it's a lot easier just to burn folks down, isn't it? It's a lot easier to John Wayne everything and just blow through life and not care who you're destroying. It's much more difficult to be gentle. It's much more difficult to be like the perfect man that we've been given as the example, Jesus. Jesus, in his gentleness, loved his enemies, gave his life for them. Yes, he got angry and he spoke the truth about God as we should too. But his anger never turned into violence. His anger never turned into hatred. His anger never turned into bitterness. Gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all. Paul deals with this. If you look in chapter two, I want you to turn back a couple pages and look in chapter two. In verse five is a very powerful verse that we quote a lot of times. It says, have this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And what attitude was that? He didn't think more of himself than he should. He was willing to humble himself and be obedient. He was willing to sacrifice himself. And in verses two, before we get to verse five, Paul talks about how we should really look at this as our relationships. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also of the interests of others. Here's what he says. Let your gentleness be known to all. Don't be selfish. Think of others. Think of others and think of their needs and think how God laid down his life for you. And he's called us to lay down our life and our preferences for others. And you think, okay, well, that's even worse than the one before. How do we do this? How is this, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. So he tells you how to stand firm and fight for joy in your life to see these things happen. And here's what he says. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, but, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We come to situations where gentleness is needed and we don't want to give it. 
We come to situations where disagreement happens and, and harmony has been taken away and we just say, I, I can't do anything about this. Here's what he says. In everything, in everything, take your request to God. James, the brother of Jesus, builds on this idea in James chapter four. And here's what he says. You have not because you ask not. I wanna confess something to you. This has really ate my lunch this week because I have been complaining about harmony and I've been complaining about unity and I've been complaining about joy and I've been complaining about a lot of things. I was actually complaining as I was writing this. And as I wrote out, let your request be made known to God. God says, you have not because you've asked not. That, that hurt. Oh, I've been compl- quick to complain. I've been quick to lay out all my arguments and all my hurts and all the things. I've been quick to do all that. What I haven't been quick to do was to get on my face and say, God, I need your peace. God, I, I need your wisdom. God, I, I, I need your help. And then I have the gall to turn around because I haven't done any of that and complain and say, God, you've done nothing. <laughs> and God, in his goodness and graciousness, just reminds me that, well, you've asked for nothing. Satan does not care how much power you have. He laughs at your power. Satan doesn't care how much resolve you have. He laughs at your resolve. Satan laughs at these little sayings that we say, I'm gonna charge hell with a water pistol. He says, come on, because I'm more powerful than you are. What scares Satan more than anything is when someone falls on their knees before their father and begins to pray. See, that's where power comes from. That's where answers come from. That's where peace comes from. That's where joy comes from. Let your requests be made known to God. Fight for your joy. And when you do that, listen to what happens. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ. Isn't that what we want? For our heart and mind to be guarded from all these things, to be protected from all these things, and and we have the answer to it and we don't use it. He says, dwell on these things. Verse eight, finally, whatever's right, honorable, true, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's anything excellence, anything worthy, dwell on these things. He says, fill your mind with godly things. And I used to hate this. My mom and dad used to say this all the time. They just hated it. They hated the music that I listened to. It's funny because my, my dad grew up and his favorite bands were ACDC, Leonard Skinner, you know, uh, Creedence Clearwater. I mean, I grew up on that. And, and then he gets mad at me because I start listening to stuff that I like. But here's what they would tell me all the time. Garbage in. 
garbage out. And I didn't understand that. I had the belief that I could watch anything, I could listen to anything, I could experience anything, and it wouldn't have any impact on me. Until I started seeing it show up in my life. The things I thought, the things I felt, the things I said. Here's what he's saying. Listen, stop dwelling on the negative things. Start thinking about the good things. How do you find joy in a prison cell? It's not sitting there looking and counting the bars. There's still 58 bars in front of me. I've got 15 cockroaches now instead of 13. You find joy in a prison cell when you think on the good things, who God is, what God can do, how God loves you, how he's provided for you, how he's gonna protect you. Then he says, practice these things. Verse nine, these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Listen, I don't know where the disconnect comes and I struggle with this too. But it seems as if we come and we listen to these things on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and when we read the Bible alone, we hear these things and we say, okay. And then we walk away and never practice them. Why is that? Listen, God doesn't want you to come and listen to a sermon and check off the box and go home. God wants you to hear his word and say, you know what? I need that in my life. Let me start practicing that in my life. Why is it that we think people are freaky who really try to live out what God wants? I've actually said and heard people say something like this. Oh, no, listen, I, I believe that 100%, but I'm not a freak like some of these people and actually live it out. I mean, I don't take this stuff too seriously. I got a life, you know? Here's, here's what happens. Listen what he says. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul was also famous for saying something like this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we read that and think, Paul, that's good for you. Awesome, glad you're doing that. And we don't realize that it's a call to obedience. Follow me as I follow Christ. And as you follow Christ, someone else needs to be following you. We wonder why our kids don't grow up to the people, grow up to be the people we want them to be. We wonder why our coworkers never seem to understand who we are and why we believe and do the things that we do. It's because we believe a lot of things that don't show up in our life. Fight for your joy. And he says, learn the secret of contentment. Paul has this beautiful few verses where he talks about, I've been sitting in jail and for a while, you know, you guys couldn't get to me and get things to me, but you've always tried and you've done everything you can to be there for me. And I appreciate that. And evidently he had just gotten a care package in the mail from the church at Philippi because he says, and I've received your gift. Thank you so much. 
But in the midst of this, there's a verse that we have so beat up and destroyed that it doesn't even fit the context of what Paul's trying to say. Listen to what he says. Verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is not about lifting weights. This is not about running marathons. This shouldn't be on sports helmets and baseball gloves and bats. This is something more powerful than any of that nonsense. Here's what he's saying. Whatever I find myself in, wherever I find myself, I've learned the secret. I can be content because Christ gives me strength. You can't break somebody like that. Roman government didn't know what to do with Paul. Couldn't break his hope, couldn't break his joy, couldn't break his peace, couldn't break his resolve. And it's not because he's some powerful man. It's because he learned I can be content in Christ wherever I am because Christ lives in me and Christ gives me strength. And I will stand in my joy. There's a guy named Polycarp and the government came to kill him because he'd been preaching the gospel. And they said, listen, if you'll just recant, we'll let you go. And he said, how could I ever deny my Lord who has been so good to me, do your worst. And so they took him outside and they put him on a pile of wood and they set him on fire and he started preaching and he wasn't burning fast enough. So they cut his tongue out and he kept preaching. Fight for your joy. Trust in God's provision for your life. Paul says, I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Never be scared to give of yourself, of your time, of your talent, and of your money because God is the one who supplies and he supplies richly. And God gives to us so that it can flow through us to other people. God has blessed us to be a blessing. So here's the question today. Do you have joy? Is that what marks your life? If not, you can have it. It is as simple as coming home, drawing close, fighting for the joy in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. We are thankful that you have given us an anchor for our soul. unshakable, unkillable, all-powerful joy. 
God, may we receive that gift today. If we've never experienced saving grace in your son, may today be the day that we surrender ourselves to you and cry out in faith and say, save me, I'm a sinner, and be made new. Maybe we're here this morning and we need to just let go of all the things that try to destroy and kill our joy so we can find joy in you. Father, I pray that we would not walk out of this place having not asked and wonder why we haven't received. Help us to make our requests known to you so that you can do what only you can do, step into our life and bring transformation and change. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.